the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Live with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I have a terrific Thanksgiving show for you this week. Larry, who is our first guest? Scott McKay is the publisher of The Hayride, an award-winning culture and politics site that covers Southern and national current events. In addition to his work, uh, can be found in the American Spectator, where he has been a regular columnist since 2012. McKay's prior book, The Revivalist Manifesto, outlined how a revised conservative movement is essential for a national rebirth. McKay's writing career started in 1997 with the launch of Purple and Gold, a sports magazine devoted to college athletics at Louisiana State University. He resides in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, Scott has authored a new book titled Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, It's All Obama, that just came out this week, and we're fortunate enough to have him on the program with us tonight. So welcome to the show, Scott. It's so good to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Scott, I understand you're the founder and publisher of this conservative website uh, called The Hayride, which I'm sure is a story in and of itself, (laughs) about Southern politics and culture. Um, On the website, you post under the handle of, and I don't want to guess how to pronounce it, but I understand it's the Gaelic spelling of your last name is McKay, right. I think. And I right. was- well, it's and and actually the way the uh, the uh, the Scots pronounce it is Mackay. Um, ah. And I found this out when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. We did the family trip to London and we are checking into the Savoy. And, uh, you know, my dad comes to the concierge and he says, you know, I, the, you know, this is the McKay party or whatever. And the guy was from Scotland and he looked at him with this really, really angry glance. And he says, you ought not to do that. And he says, what, 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 what am I doing wrong? He says, you know, you're ruining your spelling or your uh, pronunciation of your last name. It's not McKay, it's Mackay. And my dad was like, oh, I had no idea. Well, you know, I was 11, right? So that stuck with me. And when I got started as a conservative blogger, I said, you know what? Let me just go ahead and be a Mackay for a while. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah that, and that Gaelic spelling throws off absolutely everyone. I mean, <laughs> and they're like, what, what is that? McLeod? What is that? I'm like, <laughs> so I, have to, I have to tell them this story. Wow. Hey, Scott, how did our country that was founded on the principles of freedom of speech, press, assembly and religion change so fast? And how did the government that we all grew up believing was there to protect us become a tool of control by the left seemingly overnight. 
And what, if anything, does Obama have to do with this fundamentally bad, in my opinion, transformation? You know, the, the title of the book that uh, pretty much tells you it's all Obama, right? Like none of this stuff was organic. None of the changes from 2007 to today are even remotely, you know, natural. Um, all of this stuff was contrived and executed Um and, you know, Obama is the the top of the food chain of the machine that made this happen. But, of course, he's got lots of help. I mean, there was foundation money from left wing organizations um, that, you know, there's a, an entire swath of people out there uh, who are radical revolutionaries, just like uh, Obama is, uh, that have been in the trenches doing the work. But. He was the catalyst for the hard left taking over the Democratic Party. Prior to, you know, late 2007, early 2008, there was still a battle going on among the Democrats uh, between sort of the Bill Clinton, New Democrat type folks. Um, and you had sort of the Mike Dukakis liberals. Um, and then there were the hard lefties who basically were marginalized they were not part of mainstream politics most of them didn't vote or if they did they you know they'd vote third party or whatever barack obama brought them into the democratic party then he turned them into the mainstream of the democratic party and he did it through the thing that he was good at that that uh that he built a reputation for which was community organized you know th they co-opted institutions they took things over and they moved them in a direction that really nobody voted for. Um, and, you know, th that you could say that he's done that to American politics as a whole. When Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the value proposition was, you know, and it was easy to push this across because John McCain was not somebody that ignited any real interest or enthusiasm among anybody. Um, and so it was, well, you know, if we elect this guy, Obama, at least we will put this race thing to bed in America once and for all, right? He set himself up. He was an empty vessel that people could pour whatever they wanted into. But essentially, he set himself up as the racial healer of America. And it was probably the most profound, uh, important bait and switch operation that has ever been perpetrated on the American people. Uh, because, I mean, no sooner does this guy get elected than you have the new Black Panther case, which was one of the most flagrant cases of voter intimidation that anybody's ever seen. And they got away with it. Then there was the, you know, the, the, the Skip Gates incident that ended up leading to the beer summit. And then came Trayvon and then came, you know, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, then came out in Sterling and and on and on and on. Um, you know, and before you knew it, race relations in this country, which were largely at a zenith um, in 2007. I mean, people really saw an end to racial disharmony in America at that time. Um, and, you know, in the eight years afterwards, all of that went away. Uh, and it's this country is probably more divided by race now than ever before. Um, and then on top of that, we've thrown other things into the pile of division, like sex and gender and, you know, sexual orientation and all these other different um, different things. 
um, that I'm not going to say weren't a problem before he came on the political scene, but were far less emotionally charged. And now in America, I mean, you can't even get Democrats and Republicans in the same room to discuss issues um, where there is a little bit of agreement. The hatred is so strong in American politics today. And really, it's Obama that has, uh, you know, his he and, and his machine have have turned the temperature up to such an extent that, you know, we don't have um, people of goodwill arguing over means towards an end to produce social goods. We don't even agree on the social goods. You know, um, when you talk about Obama and, and I just it's hard to, to remember that Joe Biden was actually the vice president during that time. And and so was he they, wasn't very memorable as a vice president. <laughs> you know, he was there doing everything what you're discussing. I mean, he was right there watching it all happen. And, you know, fast forward to dare I even say this year, I think there's been some significant. Uh, let's just say people have noticed some significant issues uh, between the election and today. And, you know, there's this talk about whether or not our president is being controlled by um, by what one presidential candidate recently described as the managerial class. What is that all about? What does that allegation mean? Well, you know, the, the managerial class is sort of a, a very old concept. It, it largely came in with the progressives uh, and particularly Woodrow Wilson, uh, which is, you know, you build a large government bureaucracy built off people who, you know, uh, were well educated at the finest institutions um, and kind of wall them off from the American people so that you have, I mean, another way to put the managerial class would be the ruling class. Um, and there's a famous essay that Angelo Cotavilla wrote by, all the way back in 2010, um, contrasting the ruling class versus the country class. Um, and Obama was an avatar of the ruling class, you know, people who went to elite institutions, um, who were sort of indoctrinated into a mentality that is not altogether friendly uh, to America as founded. Um, it's a very elitist. It's a very bureaucratic. Uh, like, I'll give you an anecdote that kind of uh, shows this up a little bit. There was a dinner back in 2009 in the spring and Obama, it was at the White House and Obama invited all these big left wing historians like the Michael Beschlosses. Doris Kearns Goodwins of the world, at which he outlined his vision for an American economy that was dominated by big corporations, unions, and government bureaucrats, which, you know, if you know anything about Italian fascism, you would say, well, wait, that's Italian fascism in economics. But Obama laid this out. And then, of course, they went and did the bank bailouts, the auto bailouts, and all the rest of this stuff, and largely made that happen. Because over the eight years he was president, in every year, there were fewer businesses in existence than the year before. Um, and so small and mid-sized companies, which are kind of com uh, country class uh, entities within the economy, have had much less influence uh, really over the last 15 years than they had before. Um, and that, you know, that's an example of you've got a bureaucratic elite within corporate America which is woke and which is doing all these different things that are sort of count, counter to regular folks, um, institutional capital like BlackRock and so forth. Right. Uh, and these guys are all in on ESG, DEI and those kinds of things. Um, 
which are an agenda that nobody really voted for in America. So it, the managerial elite is absolutely a uh, an important piece to what's going on. Hey, Scott, we're getting really close to the uh, end of the segment of our show. I want to go over your book again. It's called Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. Subtitle, It's All Obama. Is this out yet? Is it available for purchase? On November 21st, uh, it's out. You can order it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Calamo Press's website has it. Uh, You'll be able to to get it pretty much anywhere, and it is absolutely a read that you should uh, mark down for your holiday calendar. (laughs) Well, listen, we want to thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a a pleasure chatting with you, and... uh, Good luck to you, and let me just say to our listeners, do not touch that dial. We're going to take a short break. We will return on the other side with more today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to Headline Highlights live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Since 1991, the nonprofit National Law Center for Children and Families has been fighting to protect children from sexual exploitation. The National Law Center offers the latest investigative training techniques to police, probation officers, and prosecutors on fighting sexual predators and human traffickers. The NLC also offers human trafficking awareness training to members of the public. Schedule a training for your church or organization today by visiting nationallawcenter.org. That's nationallawcenter.org. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Live with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to our our Thanksgiving edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. My co-host Larry Dershman and I are delighted to spend this time with you and just delighted to be in, you know, coming into a week that I know many of us look forward to all year long. Not that we don't also look forward to Christmas and New Year's and Easter and Fourth of July and everything else, but, you know, for many people, Thanksgiving is a holiday where we actually get more uh, days off <laughs> of the week than anything else. So um, there's just a lot of benefits. And dare I say, we plan for a large meal. And also, most importantly, and Larry and I talk about this all the time, we prepare to reflect on all of the ways in which we are thankful. Um, those of us when the family of faith, we talk about the good things the good Lord has done for us. Um, people all over the world, all over the nation, um, talk about uh, Thanksgiving specifically. And, you know, people all over the world talk every day about being thankful. We just have it one day a year. And, I mean, isn't it a blessing? It happens to be this week. So what would today be without a Thanksgiving edition? And we actually have some traditions, Larry, to talk about. Uh, and, as you might imagine, a lawsuit. So, I don't know, you want to talk about the lawsuit first, get it out of the way, and then talk about some happy traditions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine, Wendy. Sounds good. Okay, so this is a, we have a copyright infringement lawsuit that uh, is on our radar today. Uh, And it's over turkey cooking instructions. Now, this is a big deal. I mean, anybody that's cooked a turkey understands, you know, it's a, um, it's an art, uh, in a sense. It's sometimes a team sport, as we know in many of our families that have sort of done it as a team because everybody's good at some part of it. Um, but, Larry, what exactly is this particular lawsuit about? Right. Uh, Greenberg Smoked Turkeys, uh, as you might expect, sells turkeys. And since 1987, it has distributed these turkeys with some simple instructions on its website, comprised of three short paragraphs. And uh, 
it was in 2010 that Greenberg Smoked Turkeys Incorporated filed a lawsuit against Good Cook Incorporated. They both, of course, sell smoked turkeys, and the complaint alleged that Good Cook stole instructions developed by Greenberg for cooking a smoked turkey. The instructions involved merely three short paragraphs filled with fairly standard instructions on how to handle and cook a turkey. Greenberg claimed that the particular wording they used fell under the copyright laws, even though they are similar to every other set of instructions for handling and cooking smoked turkeys. So how about that, Wendy? That's what the lawsuit was about. You know what I find really interesting about this is the three short paragraphs are very uh, straightforward. Um, how hard would it have been to rephrase? You know, if you are going to use the same content and it's it's generic. Um, I almost said vanilla, but I got to start getting away from food terms because, that, you know, we're trying to make this clinical and legal. Um, but it was very straightforward in the sense that you, you would probably wonder whether or not that's even whether how easy it would have been to change or the bigger question legally what the question was here is whether or not that text was actually copyrightable you know and you and i have talked about uh lots of interesting copyright lawsuits where you talk about stealing ideas um unique content um creative products uh if you are Talking about copywriting a recipe, um, there is some substantiation that you really can't. However, you might be able to protect substantial literary expression is uh, what they're talking about here um, in, in the form of an explanation or direction. So the issue in a case like this is whether or not those three statements qualify as substantial literary expression. Um, now, it's an interesting question. And Frankly, I'm surprised we don't talk about this more often because how many times have you looked at either a recipe or the side of a bottle or a bag or something you bought at the store to try to find the instructions and you think, you know what, that's the same instructions as every other product has. So I guess here there are um, a little, there's a little bit more detail. For example, it says uh, cut six to seven small slits in the top of the bag. It gives you a number. Um, heat to 300 degrees for six minutes per pound. I mean, there's a little bit of, of content. I wouldn't say creative content, but there's a little bit of detail. You just wonder whether or not that's enough to sustain a lawsuit, Larry. What do you think? And especially over Thanksgiving, something that happens over Thanksgiving. Not that, that you can't have a turkey some other time of the year, but it, as I understand, was right before the holiday that uh, – Greenberg sued its competitor for this copyright infringement suit. Right. Well, infringement claims over instructions can be a tricky endeavor. Uh, in copyright law, there's something well called said. the merger doctrine. Well said. Yeah, there's something called the merger doctrine. Uh, this relates to the idea-expression dichotomy. Ideas are not copyrightable, but the expression is. Simple instructions or directions may not pass this threshold. In their simplicity, they may be expressing something in the only possible way you can express it. The kind of expression uh, does not rise to the level of copyright ability. That's kind of a big word there. Uh, but um, it, it is so interesting. And you're right, Wendy. Recipes typically uh, cannot be uh, copyrighted. And one interesting fact I found kind of researching the Thanksgiving topic is way back when the recipe for pumpkin pie, 
you can find almost the exact same recipe was written in, that we use today was written way back in the 1700s. It hasn't changed. Wow. And to my knowledge, nobody's tried to, 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 to sue on that, uh, hopefully. But it, it does get tricky. <laughs> And that's why a lot of uh, people that write cookbooks and so forth with recipes, they'll intersperse it with a lot of, like, personal stories, anecdotes, and so forth to make it really special, kind of that substantial literary expression that the courts are looking for, and not just the straight recipe, you know, cook at 350 degrees and that type of thing. You know what's interesting about what you just said? Um, okay, so I'll admit I'm a uh, Hallmark Channel watcher, and, you know, they're always talking about secret recipes. They're always making cookies or pies or something like that. Of course, who doesn't like watching that? And, um, you know, that's exactly what this is about, in a sense, is you're talking about can you copyright recipes? Can you copyright instructions as to how to create uh, different food items, whether it's cookies or a turkey. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you you can only imagine. You know, sometimes um, courts don't want to create precedent that would uh, create slippery slopes. No lawyer wants to be slipping down a slippery slope when you're looking at, well, gosh, if that's going to be copyright infringement, if that's copyright infringement, then, you know, what else is copyright infringement? And what if we now copy each other's recipes and publish them or put them on Pinterest? And, you know, you can just imagine, I just wonder, Larry, how much of that um, is in play when you talk about perhaps the hesitancy to bring a suit like this or, or to, you know, if you're a member of a jury, if a case like this were to go to trial, to really go down that route to say I can have something that is about how to prepare a Thanksgiving dish or dinner or something um, for the family, and if you use the same instructions, I can sue you. Right. I, I think um, I, in my research on Greenberg smoked turkeys, it seems like they do not hesitate to sue people. It's not the only lawsuit they filed. They actually sued eBay for trademark infringement uh, on another completely case. And then going back to this case we're talking about, it's my understanding that it's been dismissed, right? It's happened some time ago. And uh, basically, uh, Greenberg was not, uh, Smoked Turkeys was not successful in suing a good cook. That's my understanding. Well, you know, this issue comes up now and then, and you and I have talked about it in different contexts, not just creating recipes, but, you know, lots of these individual cases are ultimately dismissed. However, I think it's instructive to discuss the fact that this is a debatable issue uh, in some cases. At least it could be. It could have the potential to be. And this is one of those cases that talked about when it might get late, so to speak. <laughs> because yes. Although you can't copyright a recipe, as you say, you could be able to protect that substantial literary expression. So it's just one of those things that, you know, we're not talking about, you know, neighbors making the same recipe on a holiday. We're talking about um, products being marketed using the same text. But sort of along the lines of, uh, of recipes and, and Thanksgiving dishes and traditions, you know, what, what do we have on tap in terms of uh, interesting Thanksgiving traditions this week? Oh, okay. Traditions. Well, uh, you, you know, they say that um, in the original uh, Thanksgiving uh, that happened way back in 1621, uh, that goes back pretty far, and that was, was between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indian tribe, they gathered wow. to 
celebrate successful harvest. Well, on that first Thanksgiving, they did not uh, even have a turkey. Uh, they they had uh, instead they had uh, you know freshly uh, uh, fresh deer, cornbread, seafood, porridge, and wild uh, fowl, uh, but it didn't include the turkey. And then uh, just an interesting thing too that uh, t- today it has become the uh, premium. Uh, uh, sir, th- when people think about Thanksgiving, they think about the turkey, but also cranberry juice. You know that most cranberry juice, or cranberries, I should say, are consumed. Uh, during the Thanksgiving feast, and this has really got me too, it takes about nine hours on average to prepare a Thanksgiving meal, but only 16 minutes to consume it. That's kind of sad. <laughs> if you're working in the kitchen to, to eat that. And then I got a bunch of stuff on calories too. I don't think I want to go into that. I want to people feel guilty. And of course, no. uh, this broad, broadcast is after Let's Thanksgiving. So you, go ahead leave the post-Thanksgiving meal discussion until next weekend and maybe at that time you can also regale us with the story of the wishbone. We want to keep our uh, our listeners in suspense. Um, but let's just say, you know, one common tradition is we meet, we share with family and friends to celebrate together and it's a wonderful holiday and we are wishing all of you just a phenomenal Thanksgiving, whether you're serving others or serving yourself. Um, and we're going to catch up with you again next Saturday. Have a wonderful, blessed week. And happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us for Live with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Since 1991, the nonprofit National Law Center for Children and Families has been fighting to protect children from sexual exploitation. The National Law Center offers the latest investigative training techniques to police, probation officers, and prosecutors on fighting sexual predators and human traffickers. The NLC also offers human trafficking awareness training to members of the public. Schedule a training for your church or organization today by visiting nationallawcenter.org. That's nationallawcenter.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.